There are times when things don't turn out the way you hoped and prayed and the way you were sure they would. Would you hold that? I want to come back to that in just a little bit. I'm going to ask you to indulge me. <clears throat> we talked about, and Dan's right, this is family, Calamasa Church family. A week, just a week from now, we'll celebrate the 10 years of being part of this family. And, and I have to tell you that today, our family's here. All three of our girls at the same time with uh, their offspring are here in the congregation. So, thank you. They, they take up a whole row there, and they were the ones that applauded earlier when Dan was mentioning the speaker. <laughs> uh, family, this is our church family, and we're just pleased that uh, you could meet them, and we hope you... Uh, have a chance to get acquainted with a few of them at least. So glad you're here. Bless you. The flowers today are in honor of Jimmy Glubka, who passed away three years ago this Sabbath, and Jimmy's parents are here. And uh, we thank you for this beautiful tribute to Jimmy, and we join with you in, in missing him today. <clears throat> Thinking back to the, to the video clip, some of you, for a variety of reasons, can identify at particular points with that clip and uh, in, in, in powerful ways. It's true. And, and we all could tell stories, I'm sure. We can tell stories of wonderful times when things went, as we hoped, went better than we expected, and we were grateful and, and rejoiced in bearing happy witness. But then there are those times when things somehow just don't make sense. And this seems to me to be one of those times Matthew tells us when John, John the Baptist, when John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? Or should we look for another? When John heard in prison, what in the world is John doing in prison? That's not where he's supposed to be. It doesn't make any sense. At some time or other, most of us, sooner or later, or perhaps even this morning, know the experience, even the anguish, of a time when nothing makes sense. I met Tom Blinko when I was a sophomore at La Sierra College, and it was his first year as a teacher. And in Tom's classes, I was blessed, came to appreciate him rather quickly, had no idea in those early days or years even the way in which our lives would connect over 
the years that followed, 50, 50 years that followed. Together in, uh, he is my teacher, and I as a student at La Sierra and at the seminary, together in service in Japan, uh, with them as our next-door neighbors, and you get pretty well acquainted when you live next door to somebody in a country like that. I could tell you stories of Tom, Blinko, and myself, and interesting spots in Japan and experiences. Anyway, I better not get into that. But Tom and Helen Blinko uh, became such, a, such an important part of our lives. Tom passed away uh, about six years ago. Helen is, is as perky as ever. She's at the villa where Margie and I have the privilege of being chaplains now uh, and spending time on Wednesdays. It's always wonderful to see her. But Tom and Helen Blanco have been two of the most faithful, devoted, committed servants of Jesus Christ that I've ever known. If ever the word godly would be used to describe a person, Tom Blanco and Helen too, but she's a little different way, uh, but Tom would would merit that, that title, a godly man. And yet, I shall never forget one of the last times we were together down at Escondido at a Sabbath lunch with mutual friends. Came time to go, and we came out and started down a long flight of stairs to where Helen was in the car parked and and waiting for Tom to get there. And I, I took Tom, put my arm around him, had him lean on me, And we struggled down those stairs and finally got to the car. Serious health problems. And I remember the look in his eyes as he turned to me and he said, Lou, I never thought I'd be like this. Now, don't mistake that for a statement of wavering faith on Tom's part. That was not the case. That never wavered. But it was an expression of pained, pained surprise at what was happening and the way life was working out. We, we, we have those times, wonderful times, when things go the way we hoped and prayed. We, uh, we like to tell the stories. There's joy and there's confidence. We share those happy stories, testimonies of God's gracious leading, and that's certainly appropriate, and I'm glad for those times. Precious stories of answers to prayer. But then come, as in our video clip, the complications of an answered prayer, and then what's going to happen? And some of us have known times when things seem to fall apart. Circumstances, events, people don't meet our expectations, suffering, sickness, disease run their course. And God seems persistently to wrap himself in silence. John in prison. That's no place for John. That's not where he's supposed to be. Remember Zechariah, John's father? In Luke chapter 1, in Luke's inspired, wonderful telling of the story, we pick up at at verse 59, Um, Zechariah hasn't 
hasn't said a word for more than nine months. He can't. But he smiled a lot. And at this, on this particular day, you can imagine him uh, silently chuckling over the brouhaha in his family regarding the name for his newborn little boy. His wife Elizabeth has it right. She knows what the name is. But the family says, there's nobody in, the, in our family that has that name. We can't do that. And finally, they turn from her uh, and, and turn to the father and by, get the message through. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's caught it all. He's not having any problem at all. He, he picks up uh, a, a, something to write on, and he writes, you remember, his name is, not his name ought to be, or I'd suggest, or his name is John. Because that's what the angel said it should be. And at this point, Zechariah is not taking any chances. He's going with the angel and what the angel said. His name is John. And then, and then his voice, his mouth was opened, Luke says, his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. I can imagine in rather loud tones enjoying hearing the sound of his voice. And in the midst of his shout of praise, this is, this is what he says. And you, child, looking at that miraculous little bundle, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Wow. What a future as you look at your little son. Some great excitement in that Judean hill town. Wonderful day. Then, then the story stops there, and we have about 30 years of, of silence. Luke says something about John growing up full of spirit in the wilderness, but that's about it. And, and you can imagine people in that town uh, wondering just a bit, when is all that going to take place? And I can imagine some of those who were there who knew the story and maybe probably passed it on to others, I can imagine them nodding their heads quietly and saying, it's okay, just wait. <laughs> just wait. Then like a meteor in the dark midnight sky, like a flash of lightning, like a roar of thunder, there's a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. A mighty, a powerful voice that galvanizes that whole area, that whole nation. They stream out in, in droves to hear what he has to say. They're stirred, they're shaken. He calls to reform and to righteous living. He's utterly fearless. He reproves sin in high places and he says, the world as it is now is going to end. The kingdom of God is at hand. And most important of all, after me comes one more powerful than I am. And John is powerful. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's going to clean things up. Then he's going to bring a new world out of the flames. So get ready now for what is coming. 
Then out of the crowd steps one he's never met, his cousin, but he's never met. And he's been given some help in being able to recognize the one he's been talking about. I, I, I should be baptized by you. That's all right, John. Go ahead. This is part of God's plan. And John, and John had known. There wasn't, at this point, there wasn't any I wonder about it at all. He'd been certain. There had been evidences, a voice for he- from heaven, for example. And John had pointed to Jesus as he passed by not long after that and had said to his closest followers and friends, Behold the Lamb of God. And they had said, Thanks, John. We'll follow. And John had been glad. He had been glad. More than that, John had been truly great. As the crowds melted away from John's ministry, and Jesus' crowds increased. John had said, you remember, he must increase and I must decrease. In the history of humankind, so few would ever be that great. And Jesus had called him great. And John had gone on preaching and watching and waiting His heart is filled with joy. He's certain that it can't be long now. Jesus has been baptized. Soon the lion of the tribe of Judah will cast down the pride of the oppressor. He will deliver the poor and the needy. The crooked will be made straight, the rough places plain. But after only a few months of doing what he was born to do, the storm breaks over John. And John sits a prisoner in Herod's dark dungeon. Well, at least there's one consolation, as bad as it is. Surely now, surely now Jesus will move into action and he will do something about it. The time has come. I can last another day or two here. And John's disciples keep him posted as to what's going on. Well, John, <clears throat> good-sized crowds following Jesus. That's, that's good news to John. He's gathering disciples. There are people who are following him as we have followed you. He's, he's talking to people. He's telling interesting stories, illustrations. He's, uh, he's healing people. Sorry, John, but he's also eating with tax collectors and other bad characters while the heel of Rome crushes Israel evermore. King Herod, the one who slapped you into this rotten dungeon, King Herod and his evil wife are doing as they please, and the cries of the poor and the suffering go up to heaven. You can understand. You don't have to have a lot of imagination here. You can understand That as John listens to them, a dark shadow begins to creep into his thinking and his feeling. The gloom of this prison 
He's been an outdoor person. Shut up like that. Can't stand it. Week after week, nothing changes. There's, there's doubt and there's despondency. Could I have been wrong? How could I have been wrong? If I, if I was right, though, wouldn't things be different? Wouldn't, wouldn't Jesus set me free? And nothing happens, and nothing makes sense. So Luke tells us that John chooses two of his disciples, and he sends them to Jesus. Go and ask Jesus. Go and ask Jesus the most basic question there could ever be. The most basic question for John's future, for sure. And the most basic question for our future, my friends. Are you the one? Jesus, are you the one whose coming was promised? Are you the one that we should be looking for? Or do we need to look for another? When our hearts shrink... When nothing makes sense, it may be helpful, may be very important to notice what John doesn't do. John doesn't shout out, where are you? John doesn't shake his fist at heaven. John doesn't discuss the struggle that he's having with his disciples. What he does do is to bring his doubt and his fear and his despondency to Jesus. He'll ask Jesus. That's what he'll do. And Jesus will know implicit in what John does is a, is a bedrock confidence. Jesus will know and Jesus will tell John and for John that will be enough. He doesn't ask for proof. He simply asks for a word back from, from Jesus. You know, you think about it, John does what Jesus himself will do in a still darker hour, not too long after this, an hour at Calvary, when in the most profound way, if ever nothing made sense, it's Calvary from, a, from any standpoint we can think of other than that salvation. But, but the one who has served God most faithfully seems most alone at that crucial hour. His cry of anguish from the cross is not, where's God? His cry of anguish is, my God, my God, why? And, and Jesus tells his Father what it is that clutches at his heart. And he himself, in the next few moments, will trust the heart of God he will commit himself to his Father. 
He will call him Father and will say into your hands, I commit my breath, my life. I commit everything I am. And in the same way, John trusts Jesus. One thing's clear. Jesus alone knows who he is. Even though John's expectations have been shattered, John was wrong about what he was looking for. The disciples, for the most part, throughout Jesus' ministry were wrong. They were looking for that kingdom. They wanted something in power and strength. They wanted the enemy shaken and driven out. But John's expectations have been shattered and his foundations shaken to the very depths. And yet he still knows that the master is greater than his own trembling heart and his own deepest fears. He does have memories. There's evidence. A voice, a dove, the presence of Jesus, the word of Scripture. And in that light, John says, I just need to hear from Jesus. I will trust myself to him. I will give him my doubt, and I will give it to Jesus and Jesus alone. So the disciples come and ask the question. Surprisingly, Jesus doesn't say, well, of course I am. What's the matter with John? (laughs) There's, There's a wonderful desire of ages insight here. Jesus doesn't respond to their question right away. He, he really, in effect, says, well, just step over there if you would. I'm very busy here. And, and in effect, he says to them, see for yourself. I want you to take a look. No, <laughs> this isn't the revolutionary world, the leader that John had portrayed in his preaching. Here's one who helps, who heals, who teaches, was the most compassionate person you could ever imagine. You can, you can, you can imagine John's uh, disciples saying, <clears throat> being tempted to say something like this. That's very nice, Jesus. That's very, really very nice. But when are you going to do what you came to do? What John thought you were coming to do. And Jesus in effect, says, no, my friends, it's not the clash of arms. It's not the overturning of thrones and kingdoms. It's a life of mercy, self-sacrifice, compassion that wins people's trust, their admiration, and ultimately captures their hearts. The blind see, the lame walk, The deaf hear, the dead are raised, (laughs) good news is preached. I'm not giving lectures on a new philosophy of religion. I'm not trying to start a new religion as such, a new system of belief. I call upon you to know God by demonstration. If you've seen me, if you've seen how I spend the afternoon, if you've got it, then you can know that you have seen the Father and you have been part of the kingdom. 
his kingdom. And if you've seen and watched and heard and known me, something new has entered your life. We are transformed, my friends, by the truth about God. Once we begin in that journey, an ever-expanding adventure of knowing how gracious, loving, forgiving, accepting, how wonderful he truly is. But Jesus says, you can only experience the difference that I want to make in your life in, in the, taking the risk of discipleship. And he, he puts in a word just for John. Tender, filled with meaning, gentle, love, a little bit of a warning or rebuke, I think we could say too. Blessed, tell John, be sure to tell him this after you've reported everything else. Tell him, blessed is the one who keeps from stumbling on account of me. They'll go back. They'll report to John, and John, I believe, will get it. He'll understand that the power and the kingdom and the glory is all centered in self-sacrificing love. And he will know he will sense that that love will lead all the way to a cross. He will trust his life and everything about it to the one that he proclaimed and said, Behold. Now, I think there are many ways in which John's experience and his question is, is pertinent to us. Um, I, I think on one level it's pertinent to those of us who are part of a particular community of faith, most of us here today, this community of faith, but then a worldwide community of faith. The fellowship of faith of which we are a part began with great expectations and then bitter disappointment. And there were a, a small number of people, a, a handful really, that, that dared to believe even when nothing made sense. And our history is, is rich with those beginnings of, of people who sought and who trusted in the face of, of real pain and anguish. There are more than, there's more than one who's asked, and, and, and even now, not only in the past, but currently, um, are, are we, is this group really the one that has a, a mission that Jesus has given, a, a sense of destiny and purpose that, that is needed in our world, or, or should we look for something else? Well, uh, I think we need to look to the future, look ourselves and to the future in the light of the past. I think there is a rich heritage that is ours, not exclusively ours, but, but is ours in terms of, of continuing the teaching and healing ministry of Jesus Christ. The way education and medical ministry and, and worship and, and, and biblical truth come together is, is a package that has something 
to offer in important ways. We ought to be about what God gives us opportunity to do, to reveal God's character of love, and to join with any and all who have caught that vision with any kind of clarity and to join hearts and hands in lifting up our Heavenly Father. So I, I think the story fits in those ways. The story has something to say about prophets and how we understand them and how prophets understood themselves and their experience. John was certainly called by God, empowered by God. John was mistaken, even as he made some of his early proclamations. And John had to learn more. So there's a, what, what part of our uh, background and heritage, there's present truth that I think is a very important part of our journey. But then then there are our own personal journeys. Fairly often, I find myself walking into the University Medical Center, headed toward the elevators. And I look off to the right, and I see people gathered over in that area, right off to the, to the right. And I know who they are, and I know what they're doing. They're waiting for word. Because uh, I remember a day in May, three years ago, when my girls and the family and other friends waited ourselves. We expected word in a couple of hours. We were deeply concerned. <laughs> I'll never forget one very dear friend, Floyd Brower. Floyd and Mary Bell were there with us, and, and Floyd knew that passing time was making us nervous, and Floyd kept talking about how Dr. Robert Wagner was not the fastest surgeon, but he was the most careful surgeon. And we said, that's good news, thank you, keep saying that, Floyd. But finally, the time got so long, six and a half hours, and when uh, Dr. Wagner came to tell us, we began to know something of a long road of ovarian cancer and its devilish ways. I, I'm profoundly thankful, grateful, for all the ministers of healing that we have had over these three-plus years now. Oh, what a marvelous group of people. And uh, they, they're really real instruments of help and, and grace. I think this is my first chance to say to you, church family, thank you for your great interest and your prayers for Margie and for me. And uh, I, can, I, I can tell you, as I'm sure many of you can also testify, that knowing people are praying really does make a difference. Thank you so much. We continue on a journey that many of you know and understand. Chemotherapy over 18 months, back in the hospital a couple of times. One Thanksgiving dinner, you remember girls, that we ate at Mama's bedside in the hospital. 
follow-up appointments. Our life is marked by medical appointments. We sort of do everything else around those appointments. They take priority. Innumerable blood tests, CAT scans, MRI. The name of the game is continual vigilance. I'm grateful for that kind of watch persons on the walls and all the technology that goes into that. But I'll tell you what, we've learned, and others of you could speak of this more powerfully even than myself, that you are grateful for each day, every day. Each day's a gift, a wonderful gift. And um, by God's grace, eager not to waste any of that precious time. As I've said, in a week, <clears throat> we will have been here 10 years as part of this family. For Margie and me, as well as for many, many of you, there's a whole gallery of treasured loved ones who during these years, treasured loved ones of this family, who during these years have traveled a rugged pathway. I can see them in my mind's eye as I look over. There are some who are here, thank God. That's wonderful, and we are so grateful for, for God's blessing in that way. But I'm vividly mindful of those who aren't here and that we will meet again at the trumpet's call. You know what I'm talking about. You who knew and loved them, those who were your closest, dearest, treasured. Wow. In the darkest valleys of our journey, as well as brighter times, Paul's words in Romans 8, as he comes to the end of that great chapter, have been a fortress. They've been a hiding place. They've been a shelter in the time of storm. They start with a question as our team read those words, You'll remember, Paul asks, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And, and then he, uh, he, he offers a formidable list of catastrophes. And, and he acknowledges in his own experience there have been some really tough times. He goes so far as to say that Old Testament text about being killed all the day long about being like a sheep for the slaughter. I know what that means, he says. But then he declares, in all these things, we win an overwhelming victory through him who has proved his love for us. He's proved it. And he goes on to talk about being absolutely convinced that neither death nor life Neither messenger of heaven nor monarch of earth, neither what happens today or what may happen tomorrow, neither a power from above or a power from below or anything else in God's whole world has any power to separate us 
from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So dear friends, wherever you are on your journey, whatever ways, whatever ways uh, the questions, John's question has pertinence for your life, take courage. Jesus can take our questions, our most urgent and anguished why. He doesn't waver when our faith begins to tremble. He's the one on whom we can depend, whom we can safely trust ourselves to and bring our deepest fears, even in those times when nothing makes sense. Don't you like Paul's words? We win an overwhelming victory through him who has proved his love for us. We, we can depend on him to... Uh, Take us through it all. We come to a bit of time for talking with the best friend we could ever have, the one who's brought us through it all. And I'd like to give you a bit of time personally, of quiet time in this Benedictine experience of uh, saying to God what may be in your heart, whatever it might be, then, back in the, in the early days following Margie's surgery, um, a friend gave us a little book of, of prayers that became very precious to us. There were times when we couldn't find the words. I couldn't. Margie couldn't. Just, we needed help. And um, in our prayer, Margie's going to share a couple of those that uh, were a blessing. So let's bow our heads. Um, Barry, give us a little background to bless our time and talk with our Father, with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and share with him what's on your heart out of what we've been talking about or what's been happening for you in our worship. In the darkness of our evenings, the eyes of our hearts are awake to you. In the quiet of the night, we long to hear again intimations of your love. In the sufferings of the world and the struggles of our lives, we seek your grace of healing. At the heart of the brokenness around us and in the hidden depths of our own souls, we seek your touch of healing, O oh God, for there you reside. In the hidden depths of life, O oh God, there you reside. Faithful and loving God, you have been with us through it all. Even in those times when we were haunted by our wanderings, help us to often recall the innumerable evidences of your boundless love. You've proved that love in costly ways that center in Calvary's cross. It's true, Lord, we are forgetful. Help us to remember that we are never forgotten. At this very moment, you know us completely. There's nothing hidden from you. 
Help us to live in the welcoming security of your great everlasting arms. You know our fears. You hear our cries. Turn our eyes and our hearts to your Son's triumph and love's victory in which we shall share by your grace. Thank you for the gift of hope, even though we know how the story, because we know how the story will end. When it seemed there was no hope, I have seen your light in the eyes of a child. When it seemed there was no joy, I have heard your delight in the voice of a friend. When it seemed life was stale, I have smelled the freshness of sunlight on my skin. When all seemed emptiness, I have touched your presence in the hand of a stranger. When the future seemed barren, I have tasted life's moisture on the lips of another. Thanks be to you, O God, for your embodied love. Open my senses to your presence that I may love you and care for you in all things. Now send us forth, dear Lord, to live with hope and joy. Amen.